morning, everyone. Please join me this morning as I read in the Pew Bible 2, page 51. It's the NIV version, New International Version. It's Exodus 16, verses 1 through 21. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of the Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they came out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots, uh, around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather for that day. And this day I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you the meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, kale came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one to gather as much as he needs. Take an omar for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And then it measured it by the Omar. He who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Uh, preach down here today. Change it up a little bit. 
I love John's Bible reading voice. It's like one of those ones like you'd want to buy on iTunes to, to listen to. And <laughs> just a side note. Before I continue speaking, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that we have in Israel um, on some things not to do, Lord. Uh, and we pray that as we dive into your word this morning, we would, we would be changed, we would be uh, humbled, and we would be brought closer to you. And Lord, I pray for myself that what I say is not something that I want to say, but what you would have uh, for the congregation this morning. In your name, amen. All right, well, we have been traveling here with Moses for a few weeks, and I'm kind of picking up where Pastor left off. And last week we found God guiding Israel along through the Red Sea. And today we're going to pick up just after that point, and we're going to be really focusing on Israel's kind of spiritual memory loss. And not only Israel's spiritual memory loss, but I guess ours as well. And as I was preparing this sermon, it kind of hit me. I just thought of this old Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah, Saturday Night Live. And... It was, had Tom Hanks in it so from 1990, and it's called Mr. Short-Term Memory, which I think illustrates kind of what I'm talking about this morning really well. So I actually wanted to show part of it right up there. So uh, enjoy for a couple minutes.
I just think it, is, am I off? I'm good, okay. I just think it illustrates so well perfectly this idea of kind of forgetting things. He does it in a little more rapid pace and it's just purely ridiculous. Uh, but I think it, it illustrates Israel failing to remember huge things that literally just happened to them. And my hope for this sermon is that not only we would see Israel's flaws, but in turn see some of our flaws through Israel. And I'm not going to be bringing anything, I think, new or groundbreaking to the pulpit this morning. But hopefully, I would be reminding each one of us that we need God every day. We need to earnestly wait on him. We need to hunger for him because he is in complete control. So we have a lot to get, get to this morning. So let's dive straight back into the word. And we're actually going to pick it up at the end of verse, or chapter 15, verses 22 and 27. And I'll read that. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came back to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So, and my pronunciation of stuff is terrible, I think. I'm sorry. (laughs) So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed them a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now this morning we're going to be looking at three different passages. This one, the one that John read, and the following one in chapter 17. And these are not really the only places that we see some memory lapses. Um, we, if we went back to chapter 3, what Pastor preached on a couple weeks ago, we see Moses had his own memory lapse. Remember, God tells Moses, they'll listen to you. And then right after that in chapter 4, Moses says, what if they don't listen? And it's like, <sighs> and so we see that. And last week we saw how quickly Israel forgot about the mighty God in front of them leading them when they were faced with impending danger of Pharaoh's army. They forgot about God. They said it would rather be to be slaves in Egypt than to be out in the wilderness with God right there. And then God provides for them a way through the Red Sea. So now in this passage we find ourselves three days after they make it through the Red Sea. So it's just three days ago. And if I walked through the Red Sea on land, I think I would remember it three days later. I think I would be able, I hope, I say hope, because maybe I wouldn't, because I am human too, that I would remember, yeah, God's got this covered. But nonetheless, they find themselves in another land, and they don't have any water. Well, they do, but it's not drinkable. They are very thirsty, and... Like I just said, it's three days since the Red Sea split and they walked across it. But yet, they seem to be forgetting that God is in control. And it hasn't been too long since they saw the plagues that God set forth on Egypt to get them out of Egypt. They saw the Nile turn to blood. They saw an overabundance of frogs. They saw locusts, gross, and boils, and so on and so forth. 
And now they're face to face with death again, thirsting for water in a land that is not able to give them potable drinking water, and they've seemed to have forgotten that God is in control. And I, and I kind of think I understand what they'd be going through, being so thirsty and seeing water in front of them, and it's just glowing, and it's glistening, and it's bitter water. They can't drink it. And there's a few different thoughts on what exactly bitter water could be. It could be tasted terrible. It could be detrimental to their health. Or it could have been similar to that of salt water, where if you drink it, it's going to slowly dehydrate you and in turn just make you more and more thirsty and eventually kill you. But regardless of the reason, it was undrinkable and they were in desperate need of hydration. And what is important here is to remember that it's not necessarily the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but rather how we react in those circumstances. If we fail to remember that God is guiding our footsteps and we are going to react, we're going to react a whole lot differently than when we say, yeah, God's in control. He's got this covered. And typically, I guess it's sad to say, but our first reaction in most circumstances is to go with what we would do, which I think in my case, I kind of forget that he's in control. I go into this sense of panic or, or I get anxious because I think that it's all on me. Our knee-jerk reaction, as some would call it, would be typically not the best course of action to take. The current trend for Israel to participate in, as Pastor Brian said last week, was their favorite sport of grumbling. And they do it again here. When times are tough, Israel loves to get their grumble on. And Moses is always their first tar- target. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what is our first reaction when things aren't going our way? Do we get mad? Do we, get, do we start grumbling? Do we, we panic and just feel anxious? Do we kind of shut ourselves out and put ourselves in our own little box and don't talk to me, don't do anything, I just need to handle this myself? We shut out others, we shut out God. Or do we turn to God in those times, in those hard circumstances? I think that's something we really need to ask ourselves. Israel, in this instance, turn on Moses instead of turning towards God. They turn on Moses instead of turning towards God. It says here, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? When we put on the goggles of me, myself, and I, we fail to see the big picture. Memory loss, spiritual memory loss, tends to set in, and we forget what God has done for us in the past. We forget what God is doing for us right now. And we just think, this is happening to me. This is bad. I need to get myself out of it. And they look for a target, Moses, and they grumble against him. And though Moses was kind of the initial forgetter that we saw back in the early chapters, in this instance, Moses sets the example of what to do. Verse 25 says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it on the water, and the water became sweet. Moses reacts in crying out to God. He shows Israel, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be calling out to God in our times of need. You know, he didn't react to them the same way they were reacting to him. He didn't just start shouting at them, you fools, why are you grumbling at me? I'm done, I'm not listening to your garbage. He doesn't do that. Instead, he cries out to God. 
Basically saying, I know who can help us. The same God that got us out of Egypt, the same God that parted the Red Sea, I'll cry out to him. And he does. And sure enough, God shows him a piece of wood and he throws that wood into the bitter water and God makes it sweet. God shows Israel another time that he's there for them. He's not going anywhere. He will meet the needs of his people. He's not going to let them die of thirst out in the desert. And then God establishes his authority and also establishes a means by which he's going to test Israel. And that's in the second half of verse 25 and 26. He says, There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. He makes a promise to protect them, watch over them. He's there for them. He's there for us. But he makes a stipulation for Israel. Israel needs to keep his commands. That's how he's going to test them, it says. And it's, I guess, to them might have sounded easy enough. Okay, we'll just do what God says. But then we move into chapter 16, where we picked up before. And the whole Israelite set out from Elam, where they were pretty comfortable. They were pretty comfortable there. They were by water. They had palm trees. They were, they were doing pretty good. But they move out from then, from there, and they go into the desert where they have no food. So they're faced again with a predicament. God literally had just given them water, fresh water. So naturally, their, natu- their reaction is going to be, okay, we didn't have water. God purified the water. We don't have food. God's going to give us food. No, I wish it was. I wish that was the reaction. Because I read this and it's so hard because you see Israel again start grumbling. So more spiritual memory loss. And their immediate reaction this time is the same as in chapter 14. They, they wish they were back in Egypt they would have rather died in Egypt fat and happy than live under God's control and need to rely on him for food. That's where they would rather be, back in Egypt. And I just think that's so crazy. And I, I was reminded of something Jerry Seinfeld said. Yes, Jerry Seinfeld, believe it or not. He said in one of his uh, stand-up acts, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death is number two. Does that sound right? This means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. (laughs) I love that. And it's much better coming from him. He has that delivery. So I guess according to this, that means most of you guys would probably rather be dead than standing where I am now too. (laughs) <laughs> crazy which in 
I guess Christianity would be a good thing because then you'd be with Jesus, which is better than standing down here. But aside from that, it'd be a crazy thought to rather be dead than speaking. But these people have witnessed, as I said before, firsthand amazing things that God has done. And they'd rather be dead than follow him, than face some tough times. It's crazy to me. They really forgot about God. Because though God has been leading them this whole time, they, didn't, they weren't griping at him. They forgot about him so much that they started griping at Moses and Aaron. And I read this and I get all worked up and I'm like, come on Israel, just trust God for your food. Just do it. And then I'm hit. I'm the same way. I read this and I'm reading it with a plank in my own eye. I miss that. And it's like, we need to take a step back And remember, this happened to Israel. This happens to us. I do the same thing. Instead of giving thanks in every circumstance, as Paul tells the Thessalonians to do, I start grumbling. I forget that God is in control. And just as Israel forgets God has the situation under control, I forget that God has the situation under control. But this time, before Moses even cries out to God, God speaks to Moses. God shows he's there in verses four and five. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow me in my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Okay. God's going to give him food. He's there. He's telling Moses that. We need to be constantly reminded we're not in this alone. We are children of a God who provides for our every need. I can't say that enough. And it is here that God puts Israel to the test. And remember, God said at the end of chapter 15... This is where I will test you on keeping my commands. Well, now God is finally putting them to the test. So Moses and Aaron go and relay what they just heard from God. And they tell Israel. And I really like what they say. It's a good reminder. And they said, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? that you should grumble against us. Moses said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Again, who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against God. Who are we? We're merely creations of God. God is the one in control. And Moses reminds them, when you're grumbling at us, you're grumbling at God. We're following what God says. And in the middle of him talking to them, it says, as Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing. He appeared in a cloud. Reminding the people that God is 
there. They're not in the desert alone. They're not out there to die. Moses and Aaron aren't playing some sick practical joke on their Hebrew brothers and sisters. God is there. So when the people complain, they need to remember, Moses and Aaron are only following orders. If you're griping at them, you're griping at God. And we need to remember that when we gripe about what our situation is, uh, when someone is on our nerves, we start griping about them, or we're griping and we're complaining. God's in control. When things aren't going our way, he's got it. We don't need to gripe, but we need to give thanks in every circumstance. And I think if we remembered that we were grumbling at God, it's my hope that maybe we would grumble a little bit less, hopefully a whole lot less. I would hope. So God promises them meat at night through quail and bread in the morning, or as Israel called it, came to call it manna. And through this, God is not only providing, but remember, he is testing them. He is putting them to the test. And on the day before the Sabbath, God tells them they will need to gather twice as much because God basically closes down shop on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. There's not going to be any bread in the bakery of the ground. It seems easy enough. It seems easy enough. See, we have basic instructions for Israelite nourishment right here. Step one, wake up, gather bread for the day. Okay. Step two, at night, catch a pretty easily accessible quail. Eat it. Step three, which is the Sabbath clause, God will not provide food on the Sabbath, so gather twice as much the day before. Step four, repeat steps one through three. It doesn't seem like a hard concept. It's easy enough. They don't even need to hunt. God is providing from them. Well, wouldn't you know it, Israel is made up of a bunch of human beings, and human beings being human, human beings being human, they may have forgotten some of the little details. In verse 19, Moses says to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. Right. Just gather enough for that day. Verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. <laughs> and Moses was angry with them. Ah! Don't, don't, get, don't save it till morning. Oh, well, it's just Moses talking again. We, we can have leftovers for breakfast. Nope. Maggots. Gross. We move to verse 22. When they're told... To collect twice as much on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath. I guess it's verse 27, actually, not verse 22. Verse 27, they're told not to collect it because there'd be no food on the Sabbath. And then it says, nevertheless, I love that it says that, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. God is true to his word. And like any good father, he's trying to teach his children a sense of trust, 
a sense of responsibility. And he's not going to put bread out on the Sabbath. He said he wouldn't, and he didn't. We need to rely on him enough to trust his word. And God says, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? In what areas are we failing to trust God? What areas of our lives? Are we worried he won't be there? What parts of our lives are sprouting up maggots and beginning to reek? This was God's way of testing them. And Israel failed miserably. They were doing all right at first. And then they seemed to forget what God was saying to them. But God, what I like in this, God shows he's a God of abundant grace. Such grace. Because they clearly fail the test that God set before them. Obey his commands. They didn't do it. But if we look down at the end of chapter 16... It says, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. God still provided for them 40 years, despite completely bombing on the manna exam. Despite forgetting that God was going to provide for them each day. Forgetting all that, God still provides for them. He shows his grace. Where's God's grace showing up in our lives? Every day. Every day. Because no one's perfect. And then we're going to move into chapter 17. Where Israel forgets yet again. But this time, they put God to the test. That's not good. They put God to the test. And it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin traveling from a place to place as the Lord commanded. And they camped... I hate pronouncing words. They camped at Rephidim. I know, I went to Bible college and I did not take a class on proper pronunciation, I think. But, (laughs) skipping past that word, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Just as Israel would have hoped, they come to a place and there's no water to drink. Now if their memory was working properly, they would have remembered they are stuffing their faces with food that God's providing for them. That's what they're eating. (laughs) But they seem to forget that God's giving them food, so of course he's going to give them the proper hydration. Alas, if that would have happened, we wouldn't have another chance to learn about ourselves through Israel, and God wouldn't have another, well, he would, he'd have plenty of chances, but he has yet another chance to shine and show his glory. And we, being just like Israel, forget that God is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and the same tomorrow. Sometimes we say it, and after we say it, we forget it. And Israel begins going after Moses when they're out of water. They're still going after Moses. Except 
in this stage of their memory loss, they kind of upgrade the sport of grumbling to the extreme sport of quarreling. It changes from a low murmur of complaining to an actual outright in-your-face disagreeing with Moses. They're quarreling. But in either case, they're disagreeing with God. It doesn't matter how loud you say it, you're still disagreeing and not trusting in God. Consistently, Israel shows an attitude of give me, give me, give me without wanting to fully surrender themselves and surrender their trust to God. I found a little picture online that I thought was quite humorous. If we could toss that up there. It says, oh, we weren't ever going to order anything. We just would like some more of that free bread. That's what I kind of saw when I was reading this. God, we don't want to invest our hearts and we don't want to invest our lives into trusting you. We just want more of your free bread. And not only does Israel say that, I feel like we find ourselves in that situation all the time. God, I want all the blessings that you're going to give me, but I don't know that I can really give myself over to you fully. I just want the free bread. And it's so tough. We want all we can from God, but we don't want to invest anything in him. And so many people think that this we want it and we want it now mentality is purely American. They say, oh, that's so American. Uh, I want it instantly and I want it now. Yeah, right. Look at this. They don't have water and they begin freaking out. Want water, they want it now. And they're quarreling with Moses about it. This is old. This is just a human thing. Humans want it now. Patience is tough. We're not too good at it either. And Moses responds with, I think, pretty good questions. He responds with, why do you quarrel with me? And why do you put the Lord to the test? Yeah, big question. Why do you put the Lord to the test? They've already established before, they being Moses and Aaron, that when they quarrel against them, they're quarreling against God. And now they're actually putting God to the test. And what's interesting is that God first established how he would test them, and then God tests them. And now, and after Israel fails miserably, they desperately are in need of summer school. But now Israel is deciding to put God to the test. God, if you're there, give us some water. We're thirsty. We want it now. Then the Israelite, Israelites decide they were brought out into the desert to die. They come back to that conclusion. I said, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Yes, that's exactly why they did it. They brought them out of Egypt so they could go in the desert and die of thirst. <laughs> what? That's not even a... No. That's crazy. So Moses shows them once again the proper response to tough times and he cries out to God because God is the only source of salvation, whether it be 
literal salvation from thirst and dehydration and hunger or any kind of salvation from sin. God saved them from the Egyptians. And God shows again in great fashion that he is a gracious God. And even though Israel puts him to the test, which is a no-no, he still provides for them. It says, The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called this place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled because they, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? God leads Moses to a rock. God says, Take your staff, tap the rock, and water flows out of it. God was the source of that water. Had nothing to do with Moses, had nothing to do with his staff. It was all about God. And sure enough, just as God did in chapter 15, as he did in chapter 16, once again, God provides for his people. And God, and that place was called Masa and Meribah because that is where they quarreled and put the Lord to the test. And despite that, God still showed that he's there for them. Israel shows in all three of these instances just incredible short-term memories. God takes them out of the Red Sea. Three days later, they forget about God and they become, they grumble and God still provides. They move on. Two and a half months since they went through, walked through the Red Sea. Walked. They forget that God's going to provide for them food. And sure enough, God provides. And then they find themselves again without water. And God provides them with water. God always remembers his people. That's what makes him so great, so glorious, so gracious. He puts how we treat him, how we push him aside, he puts that aside and continuously blesses us and provides for us. I can't say it enough. I know, I think I've been really, really repetitive. We get it, God's in control. But I'm saying it because after the sermon, I'll forget it. It's just the way I am. That stinks, but God's working. He's working on all of us. He's a God who, despite our shortcomings, still loves us. And that's a God who I love to serve and worship. He doesn't wait for us to get better. Instead, instead rather, he puts us in circumstances which force us to cling to him. He teaches us and guides us to what it means to truly trust in him. I sit here and I say, Lord, are you here or not? Just as Israel did in chapter 17. I put him to the test when I'm desperately the one in need of testing and growth. It's easy to look at Israel and say, what fools. They seem a little mentally unstable with how often they forget. 
But we need to remember, as we look at Israel, we're looking into a mirror. As we read these words, myself bounces right back in my face. And it's not a nice reflection. They aren't living any different than we do. And that's what's scary. But that is what God can change. That is how great God is. He can work in us. He can change us. He molds us into what he wants us to be. I hope that we will be a church that strives and leans on God for every need, for every situation, for every circumstance that we earnestly seek after him. We need him and him alone. Out there in the narthex, there's a a big poster. I'm looking at it through the glass. In everything, give thanks. How often do we walk past that and don't even acknowledge that we need to give thanks in every situation? We need to remember God has it under control and he's working in us. He's the only one in control of this world. He's the only one who can sustain us. He's the only one who can truly meet our needs. It is my prayer this morning that we would be a church fully dependent on God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm sitting up here, standing humbled completely by the words that are on these pages, by the stories of how you showed your glory to Israel, Lord. I'm taken back. Lord, I pray that the hearts in here are moved to be fully dependent, fully relying on you. You're the only one who has this world under control. Left up to us, it would be a disaster. But you hold our lives in your hands. You don't let anyone slip through your fingers. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that cling to you for every need in every circumstance. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.